0: Great Gatsby's Great Gatsby's How about another joke, Murray? No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross I think a mentally ill with loner you know, with a it. society that abandons him and feeds him like trash. Call the police, I'll Gene. tell you what you call get. Call the police. You get what you fucking deserve.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast of Gatsby's Gyan. For the second episode, we have with us the very talented Arjun Gupta, a nationally acclaimed author. With two books on mental health, a bowler by heart, and a student by profession. Arjun is the pioneer of changing the mental health scenario. Arjun, thanks for joining me, man. How's it going?
0: Yeah, it's going pretty well, man. Uh, staying in my house during the lockdowns, all good.
1: All good, Mudlup missing college bagera.
0: Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I miss college so much. And even the teachers, I hate it. And it's something <laughs> that's made me realize so much about how that's important it is.
1: That's quite relatable, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. In lockdown, emotions, <laughs> I mean, it's all going haywire.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, the thing is, people are just... Uh, so bent on being positive that they're not really acknowledging the negative emotions right now, you know, they just want to be as positive as possible, which is uh, another thing.
1: I mean, uh, I mean, if if you put it this way, that whenever we pursue something too hard, that's the amount of distance we create between us. That's what you're meaning to say
0: what i mean to say is that uh, sometimes focusing too much on positivity or uh, focusing too much on too much on the bright side all the time it makes us lose the uh, a realistic sense of what's happening around us and overlooking the
1: realistic yeah. sense right
0: yeah exactly and there's this thing called toxic positivity these days uh, mm-hmm. when we just force everyone to be as positive as possible and too much of anything is just too bad so I think that's what many of us are doing, right now. Many of us are doing right now.
1: That's a new thing we millennials need to know about, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Toxic quality. Mm-hmm. Arjun, uh, I mean, do, do, uh, do you mind being kind enough to let the uh, listeners know of your journey, of how you've uh, evolved as a person, of all the things you've been through? A very brief thing, whatever you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, around 2015, I was about to join my NBTS college. And uh, Mm -hmm. around that time, unfortunately, I also started developing clinical depression. It was not something that happened due to the situations around me. It was a genetic thing. And uh, for two years, I was in a very severe state of clinical depression. And um, so after that, I had to... Uh, realized that it took me a lot of time to even realize that I was sick so uh, it took me a lot of time to seek treatment and get treatment and get better and uh, those two years there was a lot of suicide attempts a lot of self-harm but actually I made it through that and uh, since then I've been working on mental health in India I joined this uh, Great college, Ramanujan College, uh, the applied psychology department, and uh, I've been working on mental health.
1: So you're trying to make a difference with the things you you were most afflicted to, right? Exactly. Yeah. When you were a mental health uh, patient, that's the correct way to put it. When you were afflicted to mental health, what were the various obstacles you faced, which were what do you call in the Indian context, in the Indian societal context? What were those obstacles you faced in recuperating as a person?
0: So, personally, the obstacles I faced were very few compared to what uh, they what people have to face generally. I was very lucky to have a very supportive family who actually wanted me to seek therapy and wanted me to go through professional and medicine. So, the uh, the obstacles that I faced were mostly personal, wherein I just didn't think that I was depressed, wherein I didn't want to accept that I was depressed because I used to think that depression happens to weak people and I'm not weak. So personally, those were the kind of obstacles I was facing that there were they were about how I was and what I am, you know, identity, instead of the... Yeah. general. Yeah, instead of the general issues that people face, wherein they actually have to sneak around from their families uh, before visiting a professional. And they're scared of uh, being stigmatized by people. They're scared of being uh, being shunned by people around them. I was... The society, right? Yeah, exactly. And I was really lucky to not have any of those things.
1: Man, yeah. There's this general perception in the Punjabi families that most of us see in the movies as well that uh, whoever consults a psychologist or even a psychiatrist is a person who's mentally ill or as you call it in hindi pagal mm. so kabi did you face this uh, what do you call uh, how prevalent is this actually from what we look at it as a presentation as a representation
0: so in the indian society the sad thing is that this is very prevalent across all sections whether it is someone who's very highly educated or not educated at all, whether it is the rich or the poor, everyone has uh, some level of perception wherein seeking professional psychiatric help is uh, being crazy or pagal. But uh, I think the good thing is that it has been changing in recent times. So uh, you'll see that compared to 10 years or 20 years before, so people are really more, accepting more accepting of uh, psychiatric diagnosis. diagnosis. People are more accepting people of, accept of uh, taking medication for professional health. health. That's something that's, really, that's encouraging really, in our time. really
1: encouraging. Reform does take time, right?
0: Yeah, it does. It's taken a long time. Yeah. But it's finally coming here. It's finally, coming here.
1: It's finally, coming. It's finally commencing. So Arjun, uh, you just mentioned that you've been uh, doing a lot of work in the mental health scenario in India? What's, what's the what's the method that you would call generally employ in discussing mental health? Or what do you basically do in making a difference in the scenario and in the country?
0: So uh, my perspective on making a difference is that you, you have to start with something that is relatable, and you have to start with empathy. So I believe that we first need to understand what the other people think about mental illnesses, what their notions are, what led to those notions, what led to those things. The only way we can make them change or make them more open to a different point of view is if we are empathetic. If we we understand what they think, why they think. And that's the approach that I take, a very empathetic approach wherein I try to understand uh, the quo as it is, because that is the only way we can really change, you know, the perception of anything, whether it is in our life or whether it's socially, politically, we first have to understand what the other people are. What the other people are.
1: Yeah. When, and, when you try to, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, please. Yeah,
0: yeah. So once, when you, so once... Yeah, so uh, once we <laughs> once we understand what their going are, we have to you know make uh, some relatable stories. But we have to give them information, and I think this is something that I don't know if it's uh, exclusive to Indian society or collectivistic societies, but we love stories. We love a great story, so uh, we have stories that are you know filled with morals, filled with learnings, and that's what I try to do. You know, give people stories from which they can learn, they
1: Yeah, Rajan. So whenever you, uh, so you will be, you go on delivering lectures at different places. That's what I infer from a little that I have stalked you on. Mm -hmm. So do people tend to uh, listen? Do people tend to grasp whatever you're telling them and actually make a difference? Or they usually tend to overlook, just say, uh, let me, what do you call, uh, give you a better example. we attend some uh, meeting or any sermon or whatever you call it. We always listen to whatever the speaker is saying with the rapt attention. Mm. We make a difference. We make a change for a couple of days. But after that, that change fades away. Mm. So do you face a similar issue while uh, discoursing uh, relevant information of whatever you're trying to preach? Do you face a similar?
0: So the most important part of, uh, you know, uh, talking to an audience anytime is knowing what the audience is like, knowing what their beliefs are and knowing what they want or expect so it's always about how you tell something instead of what you're saying and what i have inferred or what i have noticed in uh, my lectures in my seminars is that people want to learn but it's that if you make it too boring if you make it too sermonizing if you make it too uh, if you make it too knowledgeable people will just disconnect from you for a while so it's something that has to be relatable to the people. It's something that has to be given in small doses and something that has to be uh, given from a space of comfort. And I think that that just sows the seeds of doubt in their preconceived notions that maybe things are not the way I am used to them being. And I think that's the main thing about, you know, any any lecture or any any seminar that I give.
1: Yeah. Arjun, uh, we have this uh, very, or as you mentioned, we have these preconceived notions of various things which we have little or no knowledge about. We have discussed a lot of things that literally we don't know anything of, but we tend to make assumptions. So let's start. Le- le- let me ask you a very, very uh, basic question What is a mental illness?
0: All oh, right. Okay. So a mental illness, as uh, I will again try to be as again, try to be is when there is a marked okay. Let me get this right. When there is a marked disturbance in your social, occupational, and personal functioning, which is caused by something that is psychological, whether it is cognitive or emotional or behavioral. And that is what mental I think that covers most of it.
1: So, all the myths surrounding it are completely different. I mean, how do we basically demarcate it from the phases mm-hmm. of our emotional being? How do we just say if, if someone is sad, mm-hmm. they call it as a mental illness, if someone's happy, they call it as normalcy. Mm-hmm. So how do we demarcate it?
0: Yeah, so in uh, psychology, in clinical psychology or abnormal psychology, as the clinical as the academic term is, we have these four D's that we always follow. So it is deviance, distress, dysfunction, and duration. I think those mm-hmm. are the four ones. So if something is causing a lot of distress to a person and the people around them, that is one D of a mental illness. If something has been going on for a long time, it has been this behavior, this emotional experience has been going for a long time. That's the second duration. Third is deviation. This is something not normal and something which is different from what the person usually was like. And the fourth one is what was the fourth one? Dysfunction. Something that is causing um, inability to work in your social life. So when you're sad. That is something that usually has a very short duration, and while it yeah. does cause distress, it rarely causes any dysfunction in your, you know, uh, social surroundings or in your work life. So that's yeah. how we differentiate between what is a mental illness and what is a mutual change in our. In our yeah. yeah, you
1: you just said deviating from a normal self. Uh, so yeah. so the normal self as defined by the society or the normal self as the original person in reality is? What does the normal uh, self mean here?
0: Yeah, that's actually a very good question. Because earlier, we used to define normalcy as the social norms. So if someone was going against the social norms, we uh, said that they were deviants. But in recent times, uh, actually, that is also why homosexuality at one time was considered a mental illness, because it was away from the social norms. But thankfully, in recent decades, in the last two, three decades, we have moved towards a more personal approach, more psychological approach, where a person who is deviating from their own personal self, So we depend now more on self-report measures, the person feels that they are not being their usual self, or not being their normal self, even if it is very different from what society prescribes. then we do take it as deviation from normalcy, it's what the person uh, feels about thinks is normal
1: instead of for right? society. Yeah. So, so the person being original to himself, when he deviates from that, that's when we label him as uh, one of the. I mean, that's what makes a parameter, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the parameters.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's that. Those are some myths that are getting debunked. <laughs> I mean, let's. <laughs> um, so Arjun, I've read your book. Don't talk about mental health. So I've read a lot, you've uh, put down a lot of citations from the West. So I was really inquisitive of the scenario in India. Mm. I mean, how, I mean, uh, we see in the West, there has been a grotesque history of people. uh, um, I mean, holes being drilled into the skulls of people, many other, what do you call, uh, uh, I mean, atrocities were committed against people who actually complained of a mental illness. Managed to read your book, don't talk about mental health. So uh, you've written, a, you've put down a lot of citations from the West, as how uh, atrocities were uh, committed against those people who complained of being mentally ill. So I was really inquisitive of the picture in India. I mean, how's the health scenario been in India from those days, and of course to now?
0: Yeah. So uh, you really uh, point out very well that we focus mostly on the West, even in the historic terms, and that's mostly because. The records in India don't really exist from that time and history of mental health in India starts around the 19th century when the British was actually creating asylums here and that history is very similar to the history of the West wherein people were chained to their beds and they were beaten, you know, the usual uh, former things or uh, conceptions of mental health treatment, mental illness treatment that just beat, uh, beat the illness out of them or that it is uh, possession by the spirits. And that's something that that has existed in India for a long time. I mean, as long as the rec- records exist, the demonology aspect of India has been the most uh, most studied aspect of uh, mental illnesses in India. So you'll see many people going to an astrologer or going to a religious guru, religious leader, in order to cure their mental illness instead of going to a professional. And that is something that has existed till this time. And it still prevails even in the rural parts of India,
1: sadly. So Arjun, uh, when was this uh, phase when a major chunk of the people who believed that people are, what you call, possessed by spirits? Ye ye this thought fade out? K- like, Was there a uh, what you call a specific timeline of this?
0: Okay, so the timeline okay, is, so time is very complex and complicated, and it time, where, uh, time where uh, was, uh, realization uh, among people, realization uh, among people, 300 BC, 300 BC. Ah, big thinkers of the time, big thinkers of the time. They, they said that something that is caused by biological, uh, biological uh, that is caused by possession. But then the Roman Empire Roman Empire back into the dark the church was again the in its promotes again in its prominence yeah. it was back to the whole position. it was back to the whole positioning and it was I that see. and it was that people are possessed they need to people be possessed, are possessed. they, they need, need to be first fine enough maybe and now, it was after that. It was after that from 476 CE, From 476 C, when I think C the Roman Empire start started start to around started 18th century. Around 18th century. When the French Revolution, when the French it, Revolution it took place, that yeah. we actually started. That we actually that, started. Uh, started uh, that, uh, you know, people uh, who are mentally, to need people to who are mentally ill, treated and for biological causes instead of possessions, it took long time, a
1: long time. Yeah. So, so uh, in the Indian context, when did this uh, thought of approaching a tantric, approaching a pandit to be cured of the uh, what do you call it, the mental illness fade away? So you see, I, I mean, I do agree so that. Uh, mm-hmm. Are we not audible mm-hmm. again?
0: Yeah, yeah, I can hear you.
1: I can hear you. So uh, I was asking. So in India, when did people stop approaching uh, a tantric, a pandit, for being cured of a mental illness? When did this uh, thought start to change?
0: It doesn't, actually. it doesn't actually people still go to people still. People go to and, and, and uh, Maulana and, uh, uh, and, and, and Treat their mental illnesses. Yeah. Although and it is although it is not, as not supported as because, much because, 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 because researchers don't really focus on that in the rural aspects. Yeah. So we don't really see that but it does exist. But it does exist still now. And it does exist something that yeah. And to to the point that People the, people, the professionals now have to work, have to work along work with religious along gurus with religious in, in order to in order actually, to treat, the
1: actually treat the people. To so come up with a solution, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, so there's uh, almost, yes, this almost this, acceptance, this that, acceptance that that people won't that people accept, won't uh, accept uh, these problems uh, as non-religious. So, the psychiatrist, so psychiatrist you went know, with the, work the with religious group, group to convince uh, them, to, convince take them the to take the medication and also, and for, also the for the spiritual aspect of the movement that, that will, will, will follow their, follow uh, their
1: uh, medication,
0: medication routine. From routines routines their, their well, the sare
1: Angles say they wish to be satisfied, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, the, that, that's with the Pandit and the Tantricola thing. Has India done anything uh, considerable, has India done anything significant in the context of mental health? Something that you might recall, uh, Arjun?
0: The biggest step that came in mental health care in India was when we passed the Mental Health Care Act in 2017. So it had Mm -hmm. some very big advances in how we saw the mentally ill and how the mentally ill was supposed to be treated. So it de- decriminalized society, it said that those who are mentally ill should be treated with respect and dignity. And It made a whole lot of changes from the act that was uh, there 20 years ago, which was the Lunacy Act. So even in 1987, we were calling, uh, sorry, that was I think 30 years ago, yeah. So 30 years ago, we were calling uh, the mentally ill as lunatics, officially. And... Thankfully, we made a great leap forward from that. And although this act still has some shortcomings, it still has some flaws, but of course, it's not perfect, but it is a great step forward. And apart from that, the most major step that came in the National Mental Health Program in 1982. So have you heard of the NACO, the National Geek Control Organization? Uh, uh,
1: sorry again. And I... I-A-C-O, NACO. National AIDS
0: control.
1: NACO. Yeah, I think I've, done, I've uh, seen that logo in a few posters yeah, so I've seen that so yeah.
0: around 10 9, 11 years before that started and NACO is considered one of the most successful campaigns run by That's the successful. Indian government and before that we started actually yeah. a national mental health program which was supposed to be hmm. similar to the AIDS control and it was supposed to set up mental health care facilities in every district of India and uh, then all of it would be rounded up by a national mental health program. Uh, so, it is because of that that there are, you know, any mental health facilities available in India today. And it is the only reason, whatever they are, whatever mental health care infrastructure exists in India today at a government level. That is because of that act, all the that program, all those years back. And, yeah, it is, It again, it has some shortcomings. It has... Uh, has been almost been treated with the in the modern world in the modern times because uh, the budget is continu- continuously cut. But despite that it has made some oh, yeah. It has, it, yeah it has made some great
1: change. yeah there's this uh, little funds coming from the entire GDP man that's really an ordeal rather mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um
0: so despite that despite that there have been some programs
1: yeah so the thing that I'm asking you was, how's the implementation been of that uh, 2017 act? How's the government going about implementing it? How many districts actually mental health... uh, uh, Of course, I'm being too inquisitive, I guess. But how's the development scenario been? How good is the government doing?
0: Yeah, well, I think the major problem with anything in India is that we don't really implement the laws that we have, isn't it? Ah, uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah, there are problems with implementation. People are still not aware of the changes that have come in it, and that's again something that comes up. With the people don't really want to know, and people want to stay away from the material as long as possible, and they want to stay away from the topic for as long as possible. But the thing that yeah. that act has done is that it has put the law on our side. So if anyone is ever uh, seen committing atrocities, or if anyone is ever uh, being incensed or, or trying to shirk away from the responsibilities, we have the law on our side. Please, that you can take them to the court for justice. That's, that's amazing. Yeah.
1: That's a good thing to fall back on. Yeah. So that, that was it with the, India's, uh, with the country's advancements. Though, uh, regarding mental health, Arjun, I uh, see it from a from a perspective that the more we grow, mm-hmm. the more mental illnesses we are coming across to. Like, Let me put it in a better way that the development in the civilization has simultaneously led to a growth in the lives of people being afflicted to a mental disease. How true is this? I mean, if we look 19th century, 20th century, of course, I'm not being uh, absolutely accurate, mm-hmm. but we see not a lot of, not a lot of people, uh, getting or rather complaining of a mental illness, mm. but abhi hum log rahe, the numbers are on a spike. Mm. It's, it's like a rap. There's this like a rapid, uh, change. Like, I mean, every other person is actually complaining of a mental illness. So just is the development in the civilization, uh, related to this.
0: Actually, it's not related at all. So what has happened is that we have a better understanding of mental illness today than we did in the past. Yeah. And there is more yeah. acceptance now of mental illnesses, of being a di- diagnosed with a mental illness than it was in the past. So earlier it was something that was associated with a lot of shame, a lot of stigma, and a lot of fear that anyone who is mentally ill, you need to stay away from them. So, yeah as that has receded, people are getting more uh, open about, you know, their struggles and something that's something that that is not really linked to the advancement in civilization. So it is a very common myth that, um, you know, it's because of the advanced civilization today, the complex lives that we live, that there are so many mental illnesses. But these illnesses existed thousands of years ago as well. That's why their records exist. That's why we know Uh, that people were afflicted by them. That's why we know that people were tortured for that. And that was, that was something that has existed for ages. These mental illnesses have been here for centuries, millennia, ever since the dawn of civilization. But these are only coming to the fore in recent times.
1: So uh, you uh, put it in a manner that cases were underreported back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Regarding the civilization thing. uh, Arjun, uh, what do you call, uh, we originally, we human beings are animals, mm. right? We are so. We are animals. I mean, only I'm looking at the, what do you call, one aspect of the definition, mm. but we are animals. With the incorporation of social attributes, is that leading to a mental, uh, is that leading to the advent of mental illness, Arjun?
0: I think that plays a role, but uh, many people often try to overblow the role, wherein they only think that it is only the social. Social, uh, social surroundings that are causing it. So what happens is that we have uh, people who are biologically who may be depressed. But the way they express it, the way it is manifested, it would be expressed. It would be determined by the society that we live in. And I think all these things play a role. The biological uh, aspect of it, wherein it is caused by an imbalance of you know, the neurotransmitters and
1: the hormones, the
0: yeah. The, yeah That imbalance, and then there's the psychological uh, aspect of it, wherein we have uh, faulty thinking patterns, distorted sense of reality, distorted perception, and then there's the social aspect of it, wherein people have to go through different things because of where they are placed in the society, where they are, where the roles that they play in the society. So, all these things play a role in how these uh, mental illnesses are expressed and understood.
1: That that reminds me of uh, asking you: Do animals also go through these uh, mental disorders? Do they get afflicted as well?
0: Yeah. So what I've from what I've read about this, uh, I was actually very interested about this as well. And what I've read is that yes, they do go through these things as well. I mean, there was a uh, there was a very interesting paper on uh, dog depression that I read about how dogs uh, express when they're depressed and how they're. Uh, Psycho, uh, psychological changes, the psychological changes, you can't really understand them, but their behavior changes, and how their biology changes, and how they express that with the people that are around them. And that often leads to an early death in dogs as well. So it was a very interesting paper that I read, and I really want to read more into that.
1: Yeah. Arjun, you just said that the cases were underreported since centuries or uh, since the advent of civilization so that reminds so you just said that people are uh, changing the course of uh, treating a a person who's afflicted to a mental disease. Mm-hmm. so that uh, what do you call that makes me inquisitive, that is knowing a little more of the disease is being aware of the disease, increasing the chances of getting affected to it.
0: Mm-hmm. that's an interesting question. okay so uh, what happens is that people once they're aware of a disease existing of- that of the thing being a disease, yeah. they often start associating it with themselves. So yeah. when I'm reading all these things about, and you know, psychological disorders, I'm reading about depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and yeah. it often seems like this is exactly what happens with me and this is exactly what happens to me and I am definitely all those things. I'm completely filled with all these mental issues. But we are not always very aware of our own self. So what yeah. happens is that we always need a professional perspective into it. So what I would say is that being knowing about a mental illness and being aware of what it causes makes us go to a professional, should make us go to a professional and seek their professional opinion. And it should be something that happens uh, and then the doctor tells you that is, is it a mental illness or is it not and most of the time it's not that's how it should yeah. happen but unfortunately people uh, tend to diagnose themselves and then claim that uh, they are depressed or <laughs> they are anxious it? and uh, you know, all those things that go around uh, I'm very organized, I'm so OCD but that's not what it is <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are even like these puns made on Instagram and Facebook yeah, I Yeah, all that these similar to demeaning on the mental scenario, right?
0: Yeah, demeaning, and it feels like they have their own
1: identity about around the labels of you know these illnesses. So
0: I was going through a profile on Instagram about someone who's reading my work, and they had all those illnesses, uh, you know, in their bio. So it was like borderline yeah. personality disorder, bipolar, and all those things. And I was like, how do you know these things? and those are not things that you should be proud of. Those are illnesses and they
1: should be treated. Imagine putting it in a bio. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Arjun, so is it becoming more of a tool to get attention on? Ki, like, as I said, you, ki, people are getting aware of the disease, mm-hmm. relating with it, generating a symptom of it, and then grabbing attention out of it. Is that... A uh, uh, what do you call a trend these days?
0: What I would say is that many times we tend to associate, you know, this attention seeking with uh, taking it. But the thing yeah. is that those people sometimes need attention, not necessarily for the same thing or for something else, or but mostly for something else. So it's like they need help, but for but not for the things that they are telling us. So what happens is that if I am depressed, like. Uh, when I was uh, depressed in my state of depression, I yeah. would, you know, seek out help and that would be me seeking attention because at that time I needed it. But the sad part is that many people uh, want to use it in order to kill their uh, yeah, I won't be very critical, in order to um, be more socially active and that's something that um, that, is, that is harming our own, you know, our endeavours of uh, improving how people see the mentally ill.
1: Yeah, it creates a sort of what do you call an imagery in our minds that this is actually what you call a, a thing to get attention on, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember there was this uh, this girl in our college who used to say that I was depressed, and then I uh, then I. I don't know what was it. I, I think she went on a run or went on a hike and then I was fine. And a very outspoken person told this to every person that she met, every every single friend of hers. And you see, for those people, that's the imagery that they have of a mentally ill person that they were depressed and then they went for a hike, they went outside, they uh, did something and then they were fine. So uh, one time I asked her that,
1: Uh, This is ridiculous, man. I mean, you're creating imagery out of nothing. Yeah, Yeah,
0: exactly. And, you know, when I I was, I actually took it very seriously. And I thought I was actually, uh, you know, I thought that she did go through it. I took it on face value. And when I asked, uh, when did you start seeking help? When did you visit a professional? And uh, when did they tell you? How was it like? She said, uh, I never went to a doctor. So uh, How did you know you were depressed? How How did you know you had depression? How did you know you had depression? But we just get to know about these things. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, this isn't how it works. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, uh, depression is becoming a very, what do you call, a cool thing to tell to people. Yeah, I'm depressed. Stay out of here, man. I'm listening to these songs yeah. like, ऐसा कुछ हो right? That's I mean, the perception there's, there's of There's
0: this romanticization that has happened of depression that
1: exactly. Yeah, that's that, the best way of putting it. Romanticising it, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, people are actually somehow they want to be uh, they want to be diagnosed with a mental disorder and that's something that you know if we do it inaccurately, if we if some if the mental health proponents uh, propose mental health has something that is very beautiful or something that is very desirable. That's very uh that is going to happen, so what happens is that when we are telling a story of someone with a mental illness, we mostly tell how uh they went through a different difficult phase and then they came out very strong and very brave and very uh, different from what they were. but the thing is that we don't really focus on you know the suffering that they had to go through we mostly focus on recovery so much that we forget that these illnesses uh, the misery these illnesses cause.
1: Exactly. So, uh, Arjun, we've been uh, talking about attention a lot of times that people are, uh, what do you call, uh, choosing this as a last resort to gain attention on. So, do you think the social media platforms, these uh, play a role in, uh, what do you call, uh, determining the mental health uh, condition of a person?
0: Okay, so, if I speak from a research perspective, the research has shown that using uh, social media platforms is linked to negative uh, outcomes in well-being but other researchers have also shown that it is related to positive outcomes in uh, psychological well-being so it's mostly about how you use these uh, social media platforms and uh, what you do on them instead of you know what's on them uh, which effects are social which effects are psychological well-being so I would say it is a yes, factor that comes in, but it is not the only thing that affects how our mental health is.
1: I see, I see. Yeah. So, so, uh, matlab, uh, our activities on the platform decide, yeah. not what we are what you call seeing on the platform, yeah, right? Exactly. So uh, the P.S. Morgan tweet, the very famous <laughs> tweet that you mentioned in your book, uh, resilience was as a cure wala thing. <laughs> so not being strong or resilient enough. Does that actually lead to a mental disorder, just a perception tha when you were, uh, what do you call originally afflicted mm-hmm. to it that I'm not weak. Let me just, uh, shun it away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the mindset, ki baat karte, so uh, when we look at people who are really strong, so uh, let me give you a very uh, good example. Suppose I'm born in a wrestler's house. So he expects me to work out every day and expects me to have a really strong mindset. Mm-hmm. And imagine things going south on me and me complaining of showing symptoms of depression. So how likely am I uh, to develop, uh, what do you call develop, a mental disorder? Or uh, does strengthened resilience actually matter? So
0: the way I look at resilience is that something that should be uh, taught to people, it should be something that should be encouraged. But if it is uh, not there in people, if... Some people are uh, so resilience when you look at it from a psychological point of view it's defined as being able to bounce back from difficult circumstances
1: and I see if
0: someone is having trouble in bouncing back from you know those difficult circumstances, they shouldn't be shunned, they shouldn't be uh, looked down upon, they shouldn't be seen as weak, they should be seen as someone who needs our help, simple as that. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. uh, coming to your example about a uh, wrestler's uh, house and, uh, you know, the expectations that come along with it. So when you're told yeah. to be strong, when you're told to have a strong mindset, even having these things, you internalize it at a point that you have to have these things. Otherwise, you're a failure, you're weak and yeah. when it when those things start happening when you start showing symptoms of any depression whether it is uh, any illness like it is depression, anxiety, OCD schizophrenia, anything you start feeling uneasy you start feeling bad about feeling these things and that's wherein it starts being a negative effect so what I would say is that resilience is should, something that should be encouraged that should be built in uh, you know, the children around us but it shouldn't be something that should be the be-all and end-all. And if someone needs our help, then we shouldn't you know, be afraid of, it to them. afraid of giving it to them.
1: We should extend our hands exactly. generally, right? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's. Uh, Speaking of the childhood oh. in uh, particular, Arjun, mm-hmm. a tedious or a bad childhood like, uh, what do you call, with experiences of bullying, mm-hmm. with experience of being a character assassinated or uh, ashamed in public, like, Generally, most of our schools, like there's this very common uh, thing, common, uh, what do you call, how do I put it in this manner? A a very common social evil, if that's the best way, a very common social evil in most of our schools is bullying is not addressed in the, what do you call, in a right manner. Mm. Is that people who uh, face bullying, who face these uh, emotional trauma since a very tender age of 10 to 11 years, these people often feel bad and uh, justice is never rendered to them. Mm. So very messed up childhood, does this also uh, lead to a mental disorder when they, uh, what do you call, become an adult?
0: So I won't say that it is a definite predictor of a mental illness in uh, later parts of life, but it does uh, affect that. It does increase your vulnerability to a mental disorder in your adult life. So what happens is that yeah. uh, as a child, the uh, people that we have around us, the beliefs that they have, the values that they hold, and the way that they affect us, that builds our whole viewpoint of how we see the world and how we behave in the world. And if that yeah. is some, somehow that is very um, distorted from reality, like a child who is uh, abused by their parents or a child who is bullied in their, uh, you know, in their childhood years that is going to have yeah. an effect on them. That is going to affect the decisions that they make in a later part of life. So, yeah. what I will say is that there are many people who are uh, who were bullied and who were uh, who had to go all these things and they didn't develop a mental disorder. And that again comes down to our personal uh, traits of uh, different biology and people.
1: Basically, uh, it relies on the way we respond to All those events, right?
0: Yeah, different people respond differently.
1: Yeah, yeah, Arjun. So, uh, does uh, mental illness have something to do with our personality, our attitude as a person? Like, if suppose I'm a very casual person with a very laid back attitude, Mm -hmm. am I more likely to develop a mental illness? Mm -hmm. Or uh, if I'm a very inspired person, like I'm working on my goals day in and day out, whatever is my to do list, I'm like, what do you call, uh, killing killing all of it. So, uh, do these things really matter? No. The attitude, the personality, No, whatever? no, no.
0: Uh, from, uh, from the uh, researches uh, that I've read, the personality of an individual has very uh, weak correlations to uh, their chances of having a mental disorder. So, it's like anyone, nice. anyone can develop like a mental any. disorder at any point of their life, which is why this is something that... I, we can't say that anyone is immune to this or uh, for someone it won't happen or it's less likely to happen. It can
1: happen to so, so there's this no secret, there's this no recipe of being immune to no. all uh, all of the, what you call, all of the mental diseases. There's no uh, recipe whatsoever. None, none,
0: no, You can't really, uh, if it is something that, okay, so I'll say that it is impossible to have a complete it the word uh, immunity immunity. Immunity, yeah, right. immunity to a mental disorder
1: Kisi ko bhi kabhi bhi ho sakta. that's the thing
0: yeah and it could happen for so many reasons like for me it happened out of genetic predisposition and that's something that's not in my control and for others it happens due to uh, a psychological uh, a psychological thought cycle that they get caught in for others it happens due to the social uh, situation that they're in the social expectations it has so many causes, so many potential causes. It's, it's something that people should really know more about and be careful about.
1: Be careful about, yeah. yeah. So uh, the main, uh, what do you call the main, the very uh, question of the hour, mm. uh, this, this is going to be really important in the discussion. Arjun. Mm. So uh, the more you are cooth uh, with comforts, the more uh, likely you are to be concerned of a mental disorder. Is it only a thing of the upper premium crest of a society? uh, If if we look at families, if we look at people, the people who are pampered more, the people who who don't face a struggle in getting their wishes fulfilled, are they more likely to develop an inclination to a mental disorder?
0: Actually, they're less uh, inclined to develop a mental disorder or... At least at par with those who don't have these luxuries, those who don't have these privileges. So what happened was that um, I'll tell you a very interesting research. Research um, between the nineteen sixties and seventies, there were practically no depression cases in India. Depression cases. So uh, the researchers were very dumbfounded by it. Like, do Indian people have a higher immunity to this, or is it that they are not economically developed enough to even have? something that is depression, but what happened was that when we started looking at it biologically in the 80s, we started looking at the person, the depression rates shot up from 1% or less than 1% to 13% within a few years. So what happened was that we learned that the people who are economically disadvantaged or people who belong to a different culture or a different lifestyle, they they show different symptoms. And they show depression very differently. It's not that they don't have it, it's that they have a very different uh, expression of depression. So, uh, yeah. when we people started looking into that, they found that people who uh, belong to poor families or people who belong to the lowest of the low uh, socioeconomic strata, they have very high rates of depression. Very, very high rates of depression which just goes undiagnosed because we think that there are already so many problems in their life that they won't be depressed, but it's actually that depression is one of those many problems that they have in their life.
1: A person dreading his next meal is more likely to be vulnerable. Is, is that the correct yes, way to exactly.
0: put it? I mean, you have to understand that a person, when we look at you know the, the formalization, the concept of depression that we have right now. That most of the people in Indian society have right now is that it's something that happens when most of our basic existential needs are met. Only then is it that yeah. uh, that we might yeah. be depressed.
1: So we, we spend time and pondering over it. Yeah.
0: So we think that if our existential needs are not met, why would someone worry about their self-esteem or belonging or their uh, or their sense of self? But the thing is that a person yeah. who doesn't know where his next meal will come from is going to be under a lot of uh, psychological stress. They will constantly be thinking about where that next meal is coming from and that is something that is basically the that is you know, the playground for uh, any mental disorder. You know, being in a situation like that. So the thing is that yeah. we still uh, formalize depression as something that is caused by a internal conflict or something that is caused by a, a very, very traumatic event in our life. But that's not the case. It's a biological illness that uh, people still are not very accepting of.
1: So how do the people how do the people if we speak of uh, the Indian context how the people belonging to downtrodden, embellished families react to the what do you call this depression thing. So they face it, they go through it, but they overlook it. Is is, is that the correct way to put it, Arjun? Uh,
0: what I would say is that when they're going through it, they go through some other things. So uh, in, in, in the rural areas, we see a lot of somatization. So people will go to the doctor, but they will go to the doctor mm-hmm. with complaints of headache or chest ache or fatigue or uh, lack of productivity. They won't say that they're sad. That they won't say that they're feeling like life is not worth living. So yeah. what happens is they, they they share a different set of set of symptoms altogether, which is why it often goes undiagnosed, that people think that, okay, you have a headache, we'll give you a pill for that and you'll be fine. But it keeps happening over and over again. So people continue to live with that depression. And the uh, the physicians don't really understand that it may be caused by a psychological uh psychological cause and they spend their whole life like that. And for them it's normal by that time. They feel like this is how I've always been and that's what it's like for them. That's
1: what it's like. To be sad is the taste of life. Forever. Yeah. So uh so the so the people belonging from the upper crest usually tend to embrace it for uh, getting recuperated out of it. Right, Arjun.
0: Yeah, they tend to embrace it, and the set of symptoms that they report. So uh, they, report. they will they will not be hesitant in sharing that they're uh, feeling sad, that they're uh, feeling like there's a lot of hopelessness, and you know the vocabulary also plays a part. That being able to differentiate between feeling sad and feeling hopeless, feeling worthless, all those things come with you know knowledge of these concepts. So a person who doesn't know these words, he would just think that. So hmm. the the level of education, it plays a role in how uh, open people are to you know, the recreation of the illness, as you put it Yeah.
1: Looking at the way ahead, Arjun, what would be the change that you expect to see? Looking at the way ahead, like Pan ten down the line, how what are the possible changes that we can inculcate as a society? Uh,
0: with the hope that in In ten years' time, the world doesn't end. I think what we can do is just yeah, what we can do is that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, can do yeah. is that we can be uh, we can listen to more people. That's the most important part, and that we have to be you know accepting and being open-minded about these things it is something that challenges our very uh, personal beliefs, our very core beliefs, especially when it comes to mental illnesses because it all it's always very convenient to uh, shrug the mental ill away. And the only way that it changes is that people are more accepting of this, and people are more open to listening to the experiences of this. Because you know, once this pandemic can, gets over, you know, with the uh, high rates of unemployment and the economic crisis that will come after it, there will be a mental health crisis that comes along with it. And for that, we need to be the people need to be accepting of seeking help and seeking, uh, and accepting that what they're going through is not normal.
1: And uh, what about the people uh, hailing from the poor families? Mm. Is there a pit stop solution for them as well? The, how do we prevent uh, from making that illness a part and parcel of their lives?
0: The main part of that is, uh, you know, getting to the, getting the infrastructure there. And after once yeah. the infrastructure is there, then it's important to educate them about these illnesses as well so people mostly in rural areas uh, although uh, from what i have learned is that they are uh, increasingly more accepting of these illnesses so there are many parts of uh, the country wherein even in rural areas people are aren't shy shying away from seeking psychiatric help but there are other uh, places as well wherein you know uh, people like to tie up those who are mentally ill and want to take them but to sir- the guru. Yeah. yeah, the demonology still exists. So it's mostly about educating the people and the people. using the right tools in order to get them to accept these facts.
1: That's the way. Yeah. yeah. So you said that uh, we'll be uh, facing a mental health crisis right after this pandemic ends. So most of us, uh, incognizantly and mindfully, often hurt people who are mentally afflicted. Mm-hmm. So how should our demeanor be fine-tuned in a manner that we don't go about hurting them and we actually approach them in a in a, in a, in a friendly manner? So the
0: most important part in approaching anyone you know, uh, with a mental illness or otherwise in a friendly manner is being non-judgmental. So uh, we have this tendency of you know always uh, offering as many solutions as possible to anyone who's uh, having any kind of problems. We need to change that. And we need to understand that sometimes people just need to vent their problems and just need to be heard and accepted. Most of the times, people just come up with their solutions themselves. They just need someone to listen to what they're going through. So the most important part is, you know, the empathy of relating to someone else and having the courage to not judge them. Because judging someone is very easy. It comes to us very naturally. And offering solutions is something yeah. that is some, uh, that is just second nature to us. But we need to change that. That is something that really needs to happen.
1: So so we just need to listen to them and just, uh, what do you call, uh, console them and just tell that th- this too shall pass or something of that sort?
0: No, don't console them. Don't say anything to them. Just say that you understand that what they're going through is difficult and that you're there for them mm-hmm. in case they need any help. And if you feel that the person is going through a very serious psychological trauma and they need some professional help, be okay, uh, be brave enough to offer them that. Say that there are some psychiatrists that uh, I know of or uh, guide them to the right resource. And that's something that we need to do. Don't tell them that this too shall pass. That just sounds condescending to the person who would uh, be going through that. Because in that moment, that is their reality. That is what they're going through. And it seems like an unending stream of misery. So just tell them that if they need yes. help, you're there for them. And if they would like to seek professional help, uh, these are the people they can approach. And that's what you everyone can do. That's what... Yeah.
1: So so just being friendly in a manner and uh, with the right resources, we can actually prevent from uh, allowing other people to be hurt of us. Right, yeah. Arjun?
0: Yeah. See, that's that's the easiest part. I mean, being friendly is something that uh, our sense of being friendly is very different for people. But telling people that you accept them is going to help you with everyone. Everyone needs uh, at some level some acceptance. So just offer them that.
1: Yeah. And then they'll go on to accept their own selves. Then
0: whatever they go on to, it would be up to them. And it would go a long way for the personal self.
1: Yeah, Arjun. Uh, since you've had a brief experience of being uh afflicted to a mental disease, and since you've rec- recuperated uh quite well out of it, I mean, I see a very dynamic personality. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to so what would be that uh key to having a happy life?
0: Mental health and happy life always <laughs> okay. Uh, the happy life part comes from you have to understand what makes you happy first of all and second of all it's about understanding that whether you want how much do you want to put into that you know i always look at it from a psychosocial perspective like what is it that you want and whether it is something that you can achieve and then after that it's mostly about what you can do to achieve it setting the goals and the happy life question is so complex. I mean, I don't even think I have an answer to that. <laughs> happiness, is, most of yeah, course. happiness is something that is so subjective and so different for people. Uh, I can't really,
1: but still, still a pleasant state of mind, Arden. just just a state where uh, most of us uh, aren't really, you know, sailing down in the vessels of melancholy.
0: <sighs> Pleasure. For the long term, mostly comes from self-acceptance and emotional acceptance of ourselves. So if we accept ourselves as who we are, and if we understand what we are feeling, what we're going through, that is something that goes a long way in being being in a pleasant state of mind for the long term. For the short term, anything can make you feel pleasant. You can do drugs, you can do anything you want, but for the long term, if you want to. <laughs> if you want something for the long term, you have to accept yeah. Yourself and you have to understand what you're going through as well, whatever it
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. Arjun, is there anything else you would wish that the listeners uh, could uh, hear too? Is there anything else you'd want the listeners to know, or from your end, in anything? Mm-hmm.
0: I think this was pretty good, and uh, was pretty good I think and, I said um, a lot that I needed to be that needed yeah, to be said. And the rest of the things, people are smart enough to uh, search for the answers themselves. And I think uh, that's all I'll say. Just uh, keep searching. Just keep Keep searching searching. for answers that you want. You'll find them (laughs) somewhere.
1: On that note, guys, uh, we uh, call it a wrap. Thank you so much, Arjun, for joining me. It was really a pleasure to host you and ask you loads of questions, and you answered them to perfection. Thank, thank, you, you, so thank much, you so much. Kripal, I
0: mean, this is such a great initiative, and Kripal. I look forward to many more episodes of yours.
1: Definitely, definitely. So that's it. Take care. Hope this uh, quarantine season yep. gets over and, soon. Uh,
0: we'll meet again, and, uh, once again, uh, once the college open. See you then. Uh-
1: yeah definitely cheers to new techniques (laughs)